We better get back, because it'll be dark soon, and they mostly come at night. Mostly. Welcome to another episode of Sci-Fi Nomads. I am Dustin, and joining me as always is Lauren. Hello! And uh, we're today talking about Alien. Alien, Aliens, Aliens 3, the West that we refuse to talk about. <laughs> yeah, this is a, definitely a franchise that fits along with Terminator, where they made too many movies because they could keep making money, and they should have stopped after two. I agree. I, I wholeheartedly agree. They should have stopped after two. Um... And then they started doing sequels. And or we're prequels. Not, prequels. Yeah. And it's just like, what a mess. Yeah, we're not talking about the prequels. We're not going to be talking about Alien vs. Predator. Those are, are separate, unrelated, semi-related Well, mostly things. because they screw up the timeline and it drives Dustin crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it ruins everything. Uh, but with... But the, the other thing I, I want to point out before we get into it all is that they could not be consistent with naming. <laughs> alien, Aliens, Alien 3, Alien Resurrection. Yeah, well, there was um, talk of another alien that was supposed to happen between Aliens and Alien 3 that was going to be more along, like, Alien apostrophe S, mm. or some other, I think, Aliener would have okay. worked. <laughs> you huh. know, for all those people out there in Hollywood that are listening. Aliener. All right, well... The basic plot for at least the original Alien is the crew is brought out of hypersleep early to investigate a d- distress call of non-human origin. Bum, bum, bum. One that results in the crew getting massacred and a new kind of alien. Xenomorphs begin terrorizing the colonies and is coveted by the company and later military for the, use as yeah, a bioweapon. The company in quotes there. but They always refer to it as the company. I don't think it's until Aliens... That they even mention what the company's name is. Yeah. Wayland Utani. Yep. Yep. And, uh, yeah, this is, so the, the basic concept on this company is it's this, and they kind of keep telling you more about it as things go on. It's like a government services contractor that does everything. It's our future. It does colonial operations. It has its own military. It has its own uh, medical force. It has science, it does man- probably manufacturing, it does absolutely, it even takes care of, of prisoners. Mining. It's like like uh, KBR and those related uh, entities from uh, the last decade, all in a much bigger and more terrifying level. Yeah, yeah, and it's that, um, that greedy corporate man that's always getting you down, that's kind of like one of the main enemies yeah. in this series. And they don't really show you too much about what society's like, other than that this company is very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe the rest of society is just fine, and we are only getting glimpses of the company part. But, um, no, you don't generally get the the, the sensation that uh, they are backstabbing, greedy, uh, will sacrifice thousands and hundreds of thousands of people to get what they want kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting when you look at a lot of sci-fis, whenever there's like three ways that it ends up going as far as what's business-like. You either have basically relatively small businesses like we have now that they compete with each other and they just do their thing. You have the super all-powerful companies that rival or ex- exceed the power of the government. Like Samsung. And then you have... Or Apple. Uh, Apple, I wouldn't say, is eh, there. Samsung it's is. It's getting there. Uh, GE's pretty close. Halliburton yeah. was. Maybe still is. Uh, but then you have the, the... The third group would be ones like Star Trek, where you end up having post-capitalism, where companies don't exist anymore. Or at least... Yeah, it's not about profit. It's about the betterment of mankind. Yeah. Or, or when they do exist, they fill these small niches out in the 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 rugged frontier which is pretty unbelievable which is why this story is so good at being scary because uh an, a world of of corporate takeover is something that we can actually imagine yeah yeah this is a world that is all happy and cheerful and yeah we love star trek though <laughs> anyway um <laughs> i'm gonna start going off on star trek if we're not careful yeah why don't you tell us about the franchise 
Uh, the franchise itself was uh, started in 1979 with the movie Alien. Um, there are five movies. Well, there's more than that. There's <laughs> there's the Alien franchise itself. Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, and Alien Resurrection. There is the prequels, Prometheus and Alien Covenant, which is due out in this next year. There is crossovers with Predator. So there's Alien versus Predator and Alien versus Predator 2. Mm-hmm. Um, there are comic books. There are graphic novels. Uh, there are games. There yeah. are books. I mean, this thing is just... Everybody knows about the Xenomorph. Everybody knows about Aliens. It's it's classic pop culture. And you want to hear something crazy? The first time I saw Alien was about a year ago. Yeah, but you would have recognized some of the Oh, I did references. recognize lots of it, but I hadn't ever seen it. And watching Alien was what gave birth to this podcast. Yep, that was our first. We were watching, we are like, dude, we could do an entire podcast on the Alien and the Alien universe. Well, one of the things that was happening was Lauren would get, with her ADD, would start... Uh, getting bored with movies and look on Facebook and she found it annoyed me less if she was looking up production notes. I'm like, holy crap, do you know how many people it takes to puppet the Queen Alien? And he's like, I don't care. (laughs) Save it for a podcast. Okay! But then it started getting really interesting and then when we started watching Predator... uh, We started theorizing about the universe and it just got really fun. And I started getting into doing some research on all that and how the whole that whole universe fits together and uh, it doesn't... People try to force them together. They don't. Yeah, the Ridley Scott universe, quote unquote, um, just doesn't work. Uh, Which is why in this podcast we are covering just the four films, the Alien, the 1979 through 1997 films. Yeah. Um, There was Alien, like I said, in 1979. That was the first one where a xenomorph infests a cargo ship and kills everyone except for Ripley, who was starred by, uh, who was acted by Sigourney Weaver, who was badass. In 19- oh, for, for an example of the badassness of her character. Get away from her, you bitch! <laughs> yeah. It's pretty classic. Yep. And that roaring was the, the queen alien. Of course, of course. That was in Aliens, which was yep. a 1986 film. So, you know, it took a while for them to get a sequel uh, going, but well worth it. Uh, as much as Alien is a thriller... Aliens is an action movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ripley wakes up uh, having been rescued, but has found out that a colony has developed on the planet where the xenomorphs are from, which she in turn has to save, despite the fact that she told them not to do, not to go there in the first place. Blah blah. Well, they didn't believe her that she had encountered Absolutely. aliens, and by the time she woke up fifty something years later, um, it was too late. They had already sent out terraformers anyway. So yeah, they'd already would, been there for a couple decades. This is uh, fa- this is. I mean, this is famous for her, the scene with the power lift robotic weapon that she uses, as well as uh, introduction of the Xenomorph Queen, mm-hmm. which is, I remember having, uh, my brother had a Queen action figure when we were kids, and God, we love playing with that with the Barbies. Well, and one of the awesome things that happens with Aliens, okay, so with Alien, it is an incredibly artistic film. I would agree. It is um, probably, it would definitely makes lots of top like hundred films. You know, it's, it's 1979 and the, the availability of computer graphics and CGI just wasn't there yet. So they had to do everything with cinematography and they did it so well. Oh, the use of strobe lights and shadows, um, never really seeing the creature completely, but just seeing hints of it. Uh huh. Yeah, it was definitely, uh, it's a work of art. And surprisingly little dialogue for as many characters as there were, and as much as was going on. Since it's mostly stocky and rapey. It, it's it's a, a horror, thriller, very sci-fi. suspenseful sci-fi. It's yeah. great. It's great. We love it. Aliens, on the other hand, was an action-packed thrill ride. Complete with 1980s-style one-liners, which... Every soundbite we have collected uh, to use in this, this episode is all from Aliens. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, the classics, the classics. But they also do use it to explain and, and at least start to discover what's going on with these creatures. They finally show you them in their entirety, and 
they start to figure out what's going on. And Sigourney Weaver just still is just a total badass in the whole film. It's awesome. Uh, Alien 3 came out in 1992. Um, This was kind of a, a break from what some people, what critics consider to be the, what should be the true alien universe, because it's just, it was, uh, I think it was a desperate, ple- uh, desperate move for money. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically Ripley after, uh, saving herself and Newt and Hicks in the previous film crash lands on a prison planet and tries, uh, to have to, has to save the population. Um, by herself after losing the other two uh and then finds out that she actually has an embryo inside of her yeah yeah it's a queen of course and and what what i found interesting with this one isn't the alien that's just a it's just a plot device the interesting thing there is the prison yeah and interesting is I think you're giving it more credit than it deserves. (laughs) Okay, for me, watching it the first time, that wasn't all that interesting. Watching it the second time, I I found it intriguing to as a a, like a thought device for what future prisons for like supermax prisoners could be like. Yeah, yeah. uh, Except for by this point, the prison was basically shut down, and the only people there are let that are left are a religious cult. Yep. Um. But these prisoners are basically just fodder. It becomes a grindhouse not a slaughter fest pretty quick with so much... Uh, these, I mean, these characters barely have names most of the time. <laughs> um, so Alien 3, we're watching it, and we're like, yeah, yeah, this is a bit much. This is going a little little beyond what the first two films really should right. be. So, yeah, you've gone from suspense to action... To just a complete slasher. To a slasher, yeah. That's um, oh god! And then there's Alien Resurrection, 1997, directed by uh, Juno, Junette, it's Junette, who is famous for his film Amelie, which hmm. is an awesome film and it's all right. But I don't. He even he was surprised that they asked him to direct an Alien movie. Um, it was written by Joss Whedon, which normally I'm like, yay, Joss Whedon, that's awesome, but. Oh God! It's it's absolutely terrible. It's terrible. Ripley is resurrected two hundred years after uh, the prison planet thing happens, but an error in the cloning process um, leaves her part alien. That's not how I interpret it. Oh well, okay. It was an unintentional benefit. That's yeah, yeah. It was an unintentional benefit that she ended up with some alien DNA uh, in her clone. So she was stronger. She could sense the aliens. Her she, blood was highly acidic. Her yeah, her blood was acidic. Um, she was kind of she acted alien. She didn't. I, the whole movie is basically just a setup of Ripley refinding her humanity. And what's so weird with it with the, like the so it's a a military hospital ship. No, not hospital ship. A, a scientific research vessel that has moved out of regulated space. To do these illegal experiments, they're working off of a blood sample from Fury. Was it sixteen, nineteen? Yeah, Fury. What the the Whatever. prison planet? The prison planet. A, a blood a, a blood sample, and from that they were able to clone her with the queen embryo inside. Which, if you understand parasites and genetics, that's not how that works. But the one part that they try to make it a little bit plausible is with. Like her memories start coming back, which memories don't. Yeah, they explained the inherited follow. memories. And it's like, well, that wouldn't explain how she could have remembered the little girl that she tried well, to save in one of the previous movies or any they, of that. They did in that it was the alien DNA that had the memory with it. But that doesn't make sense with the rest of the franchise. No. These no, are, this- are instinct driven animals that yes they take on some of the characteristics at least physical of the the hosts that they they develop in and obviously take some dna from them but there's no evidence that they're gaining the memories of their hosts no no it's um it kind of plays out as an alien slash uh ripley fan fiction 
Mm-hmm. where there's a bunch of stuff that was thrown in and I was reading about the development of this script and I understand why it is a kind of thrown together. Josh Josh Whedon ended up having um, a whole bunch of scripts for the beginning the middle and the end and the one that the director and the studio went with didn't na- didn't necessarily make the most sense he was kind of written into a corner in a whole bunch of ways. So, yeah, anyway. So they just kind of pieced together. I think they kind of pieced together um, a bunch of his uh, writing. Mm. Uh, it's, it's pretty bad. But, um, and then the alien uh, human crossbreed that ends up at the end is the monster and it's creepy. And, and it, it makes even less sense. Yeah. The queen alien that they pull from her body actually has human reproductive systems so when she gives birth to her alien baby it is a baby coming out of a womb instead of being laid by an egg and it's part human and it's very weird and creepy skull like face the the craziest thing with it though is that the alien queen had already been laying eggs and they needed to do that needed her to do that for their experiments and then after she'd laid probably 50 eggs, then all of a sudden a human reproductive system kicks in? No, what happened was um, the queen that we saw with the with the hybrid was the queen that they pu- pulled out of Ripley. That one was... That's the same queen. No, it was not. The, the eggs and stuff that they had before, the ones that they were doing experiments on, were from another queen. No. Yeah. No, because they had to have the queen, and they were they were so eager for the queen to reach maturity so they could start on their experiments with uh, getting the eggs so that they can then have the people that they had brought. They had 12, a- 12 15, 14 something aliens that um, were not a uh, progeny of the alien that was pulled out of Ripley. No, it was. They, they had the eggs. They didn't. They got them from the one that they, the queen they pulled out of Ripley. I was thinking about this last night when we were watching this, and I really just, that's how I assumed was that there was 12 or 14, I can't remember now, eggs from it that they recovered from some other alien queen, or that they recovered from a nest somewhere, and that the alien that was pulled out of Ripley was had part human traits, just like she had part alien traits. What I think makes the most sense is... With what you've said about how Wheaton had written a bunch of different scripts and they pieced them together, is they have the initial part with the queen that they pull out of her laying eggs that they use for their experiments, and then they switch to the other version of the queen that had been written out for a different storyline. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense because there is no other queen. There are no other eggs. They have... The only knowledge they have of this, as they, they explain in the beginning, is that looking at the logs and some secret military records that they'd gotten from the company, they knew that Ripley had had this involvement with it and that she had been impregnated by one before she uh, she died and that it was a queen. Yeah. And But other than that, they had no knowledge of the species. Yeah, I agree with that. Which, if they had eggs... Then they would have, there should they have been two have queens her. in this movie, and there's only one. Yeah. That's confusing us. They write two queens, but only give us one queen. And it has human reproduction system. But only at the end. But Maybe she end. went through a metamorphosis. It's, it's I a, don't know. It's a movie that wasn't written and shouldn't have been produced. Sorry, Joss. Mr. Whedon. Well, it doesn't sound like it was his fault. It sounds no, like it was I don't a, think so. the studio's fault. Um, yeah, largely. They should not have made that movie, but five years since the last Alien, they knew they could make bank off of it. Which is why we have another movie to look forward to in the next year. Because, man, they just keep on bankrolling it. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not going to be artistic. It's not going to be a good action flick. It's going to be another three or four, unfortunately. Or, if worse, it's going to be another Prometheus. Prometheus wasn't terrible. It wasn't terrible on its own, but if you try to fit into the universe, it is terrible. It yeah. doesn't work. It, it's a good movie. And maybe we'll talk about that on some other podcasts. Yeah, it's a good movie by itself, but yeah, not a part of the universe. All right. Let's talk about the science. Let's start with space travel. 
Yes, I love the way they do space travel. I think it is the most realistic version of it. Um, in Alien, we uh, saw that it was a tow vehicle with cargo. Mm-hmm. Um, they're talking about, I can't remember what the payload was on that, but it was huge. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was the haul from a mining operation that they were bringing back, presumably to Earth. Maybe somewhere else, maybe one of the colonies. Which is totally the most believable form of space flight that I can imagine right now, is um, basically tow vehicles for for mining operations in space. That is where uh, a lot of focus is going to. That's what a lot of, um, what NASA and a lot of independent companies are kind of gearing Mm -hmm. towards. Well, and what seems really pretty logical about it is that way you end up having specialized craft. So you have the big cargo thing that can stay in orbit or just be lifted up with a a launch rocket. And then you have a vessel that is designed for just long range travel. Because especially with with the type of of drives we have available now, the fastest for long distance are really slow at the start and not capable of launch. Yeah, and they really um, tried hard in the design of uh, the ship uh, to make it look like it was built in space, to make it look like it was kind of thrown together. Mm-hmm. That ship could not exist uh, with with gravity pulling on it. Oh, it couldn't go through an atmosphere. Couldn't go through, yeah. It was clearly something that was built and maintained in space with a tow ship that kind of helps direct it. And the tow vessel also looked like it was something that was... Probably thrown together in space. Yeah, built in space. Using all the, kind the of antennas. older parts, maybe some re- retrofitted with some old computers. It was real. I believe it. And it was also placed 200 years in the future, so probably around 2180. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. And the whole space truck setup. We know how much you love space truck. Is uh, And eventually we will, we will do space truckers. Uh, that is my, my favorite bad sci-fi. Uh, it, it's, yeah, it just makes so much sense. Uh, the the uh, cryo, yeah, cryo storage of the people. That's another really interesting, um, it kind of set the standard for space travel for all future like science fiction movies mm-hmm. and novels. It's um, where you have a pod that you lay down in, you get cryogenically frozen during the sh- during however long the main trip is, and then you're just woken up in case of emergency or uh, at the end of your voyage. Right. Makes sense. Especially since... Uh, that gets used anytime they aren't trying to get a gimme on uh, faster than light travel. Oh, right. It's it's a lot harder to make realistic because we just don't have that now, and we don't even know if it's feas- feasible. It most likely, it, you know, it violates the laws of, of physics. So, as it stands, it violates the laws of physics. So that's that's a huge gimme. So it's it's the the idea that you're traveling at relativistic speeds. So probably 0. 0.2, 0. 0.3.4 times the speed of light. Uh, and yeah, you just sleep through it because it takes months or years. Yeah. And uh, I love the fact that the cat gets cryogenically frozen. You can have animals too. Uh-huh. Go and, and I don't think they're actually frozen, just they're somehow placed in this hyper sleep where there's no aging. Yes. Because well, Ripley spent 57 years in one. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, the beginning of Aliens. Um, She wakes up from a 50-something year sleep. And they don't actually explain whether it's freezing or not freezing. They don't need to. It's kind of left up to the imagination. All you know is that uh, they have a way of doing hypersleep in uh, deep space travel, which is awesome. Um, The aliens themselves uh, bring up some cool science. Yeah. uh, Especially biologically. First off, they, they... The way they reproduce, I think, is crazy. So you have... Endoparasitic breeding. Yeah, so you have a egg that opens up and the face hugger, this kind of crab and stingray slash trilobite looking thing pops up, wraps its tail around your neck, grabs a hold of your, your face... Hugger <laughs> and stays there for a few days until it drops the embryo through your mouth. Apparently, yes, it's uh, and they definitely made it look like a hand with a vagina with a penis. 
I mean, the whole thing yeah. is very sexual. We'll get into that later. But oh my, yeah, this thing looks like a hand with a vagina with this little penis that comes out. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Great family fun. Then the the it's terrifying alien itself crawls like a spider. Juvenile adult form of it. So cute. Breaks through the chest. Chest burster. And scurries off. Scurries, literally. It's so cute. And then it's it, a little it, tail whipping around. It molts several times and grows within a few days to its full adult size, roughly six feet tall. Yeah, four to six feet tall, uh, approximately human size. A little bit bigger than human. Yeah, yeah. With pretty. a tail that sticks out quite a ways, barbed barbed tail and translucent dome for a head, and uh, a little inside. Inside their mouth, there's a little tongue that has its own little jaws. It's super mm-hmm. cute. Everybody knows what the xenomorph looks right. like, but just in case you don't. But there's actually multiple versions of what they end up looking there like. There are, and this starts to get really complicated if you go into um, all the different types. Because each as each movie has its own, usually one or two types. Um, not, inclu- not including uh, Prometheus and the Predator crossover, so it's crazy. Yeah. But there's the um, adult, just the adult generic alien that we see in alien then they introduce the queen which mm-hmm. include which is much bigger includes an egg saying egg laying sack and, and tube system and tube system and this huge uh coronal plate yeah that acts as like kind of like a crown coming off of it it's pretty cool we have a uh, warrior versions that show up later that are um a little bit more uh, agile uh, that can swim and kill people in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so there's a whole bunch of different kinds. And oh, and the, then the quadruped. The dog. The dog slash cow. Yeah. One, depending on which version of the movie you watch. That moves most like a cat. Yes. Yeah, Alien 3 had uh-huh. uh, it was in one version of the movie it was a dog and in another version of the movie the one we saw it was a cow that got face hugged and the resulting um xenomorph was i think probably one of my favorites because yeah. it was four-legged predator it was it was great it moved like a puma yeah and and the fact that they gave it cat like uh characteristics and and reflexes was highly highly effective as a uh tool to make it terrifying yeah, and this is where we are introduced to the, to the idea that uh, the xenomorphs take on their hosts' genetics in some way in mm-hmm. order to evolve and become stronger and survive better. Um, so, Otherwise, why the four legs? It would have had two, but no, definitely. It's cool. It's really yeah. cool. Well, And it also has with it, you know, they are insect-like, as you find out in Aliens, in that you have a queen and workers. And the worker's job is to go out and not kill, but incapacitate and bring back uh, host bodies for eggs to then attach to. There are no drones that fertilize the queen. It's obvious, obvious that with the mixing of DNA with the host, that is providing like the, the, the father's genetic contribution. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say that, and I think there are insects that are um, that hatch that are pre-fertilized. There are even mammals that do that. Well, not pre-fertilized. It's the 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 face hugger is obviously not a different stage in its life form. It is an intermediary reproductive being hmm. uh, that its purpose is to cause the genetic mixing with the host and. It's it's more like how different species of apple apples can only uh, intermix interbreed with or cross pollinate with other species of apple. They can never cross pollinate with the same species. Um, that's really weird and rare. Um, but you also end up having a lot of cross species gene transfer, which can cause them to very quickly adapt to whatever conditions they're in. Yeah, depending on the host. How well the host is doing in that environment. Yeah. And, and so it, it makes amazing sense for a interplanetary parasitic creature to be highly effective if it can do that. Because if you get basically your repro- uh, 
not reproductive, your uh, respiratory system from the host, then you're going to be able to breathe whatever the, the environment is or whatever the, the atmosphere is in the place that you are. That's the only, um, I mean, obviously no creature can pick and choose the traits that it's going to be born with, but this is assuming that it's going for the highest uh, survivability rate. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. And they also do demonstrate that the, like, the more times they, they mix with humans, they seem to get smarter. Yeah, they're able to understand more complex. Yeah, like by aliens, you have the queen who can, she figures out how an elevator works and how to control it. Yeah. And that's so terrifying. <laughs> it's kind of cute. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> Waiting for alien to come up. Oh, Another great uh, scientific aspect that's introduced in the Alien and Alien series is the androids. Oh man, we can get we could probably talk a whole podcast on just the androids um, because there's an evolution that you see of an, of the androids during mm-hmm. this because we're covering 250 some years. Of oh right, because development. Yeah, it's 200 years between Alien Three and Alien Resurrection. Yes, and 57 years between Alien and Alien aliens and a couple months between aliens and alien three yeah so we start out with the uh first android that we are introduced to is ash um from alien and he is the science officer who is doing everything he can to make sure that they uh bring an alien a live alien back to the company for research that's his prime objective um he ends up betraying the crew trying to kill kill ripley kind of goes crazy and it kind of brings up uh asimov's rule mm-hmm. of uh you, you know how come why, why is this uh android synthetic being able to attack and uh hurt humans because it's not programmed with asimov's laws right so asimov's laws are not considered in this universe at all it's awesome <laughs> robots can kill you it's great well one thing that i think even seems kind of strange with the fact that that android was there is a science officer on a commercial mining transport operation that seems There's odd. already question marks it's like why do we need a science officer but it seems to be standard practice to have one so this supports the theory that ash was put there and that this particular crew was sent out to a particular part of space knowing that there is something weird going on that or and that the company knew about the aliens all along that or the science officer because he also seemed to be the medic yeah science officer slash medic uh is on the ship because it does kind of make sense to have some kind of a science officer if you're out in space in case you see something new yeah Uh, that's not totally unplausible um but it the the scenario that seems most likely to me is the company picked up the transmission, the the dr- distress call, and then sent orders to Ash. Well, they probably yeah redirected the nearest vessel, which happened to have uh-huh. this Ash uh, synth synth on board. It's like okay, let's hijack that ship and uh, use the science officer as a way to hijack it and bring home whatever they find. And it also seems like there's probably some communication going on back and forth. Well, we know that there's communication going back and forth because Ash um, is the liaison between Mother, mm-hmm. which is the ship's computer, and the crew. So he um, very effectively can hijack the ship. Well, the captain also had access to Mother. Yes. Yeah, I did. But Ash was the one that was conveying like Mother's orders. Yeah. When they asked, yeah. what does Mother think? Ash was the one that was responding. So. And that was without anybody knowing that he was a, a synthetic person. Yeah, they just thought he was a science officer and he was in charge of communicating. Bishop shows up in Aliens and is the synth uh, that is on that crew, which apparently is like standard procedure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the difference between Ash and Bishop is Bishop seems to work with humans. Um, he sacrifices himself for the crew, which Ash would never do. So something changed in that 50-year time span that um in the programming because he mentions that ash was an older model and oh well that one was always kind of weird anyway obviously something changed in the design and programming between the ash model and the bishop model uh i i think though the the explanation that bishop had was 
an oversimplification because no, the Ash model was fine. A part of the crew that nobody knew was a synthetic person, completely past as human. Except for his obsession with drinking milk. Yeah, that was a little odd, but not something that anybody picked up on except for you. <laughs> and, but it made me thirsty for milk. He was programmed. Uh, he got new programming in, and he followed it. He was definitely a company bot. Yeah, so um, his excuse is, at first, draw skepticism. Because you're like, yeah, right, that's what any company Android would say. And which is true. Uh, but he does end up becoming quite um, close to Ripley and does everything he can to save as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Which sets her up for uh, another coming to Jesus moment, I guess, in uh, Alien 3, where she meets the man who designed Bishop, yeah. who is done, who is portrayed by the same actor, which is weird. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like, wouldn't he be really old at that point? Not necessarily. I guess Bishop, the Bishop Andrew could have been the most recent one. Yeah. And but anyway, she, he has to try and convince her to trust him and she doesn't because he's, He's not the real bishop. <laughs> He's not the bishop of the android. He is bishop the human. Yeah. The, that, the company human. The company human who is out to try and take her queen baby and make it a weapon. Yeah. And then we get a third one in Alien Resurrection. 200 years later, you have the first model of android that was developed by androids. Yes. Yeah, so this was after some kind of revolution where androids decided they had rights and wanted rights and they were not allowed to have them so they were scrapped yep a few of those synths survived and um the one that we meet which is played by winona Ryder, uh is trying to save the world basically by trying to save humanity from itself from itself by killing ripley by killing the aliens and becoming kind of the new the new central female figure to make up for, yeah. um, which is funny because they used a synth to make up for the lack of humanity in mm-hmm. Ripley in the fourth movie. So. Yeah, not even a synth, but a synthetic person designed by synthetic persons. Yeah. So not really human at all. Yeah, not human at all, but is more humane than than this new alien Ripley hybrid. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, it, it also. I've been using the word cool a lot lately, by the way, so I apologize. It also kind of presents a little bit of, like, you started seeing it with Bishop, of him advocating for himself on occasion. It was known that he His was... His famous quote is, I'm synthetic, not stupid. Everybody knows he's synthetic, he knows he's synthetic, and he wants to continue his existence if he can. Yeah, which... Is- we are obsessed with Star Trek, so we totally respect that. <laughs> Whereas Ash, all Ash wanted to do was what the company wanted. Even though the company's orders would have likely ended in his own destruction. Yeah. His own destruction, everybody's own destruction. Yeah. He didn't care because he was a robot. Um, the other thing that we've noticed scientifically was is the technology used in these movies. Uh, they went total retro <laughs> in these movies. And I later learned that that was done on purpose. Um, to make it feel like this was like the Nostromo in Alien. That was supposed to be a budget uh, budget vehicle that some company just threw together in order to tow payload. Okay. So cheap parts, retrofitted parts, a computer that looks like it was, you know, built in the 80s. Well, and that was presented in 1979. Right, it would have been in the 80s, or, you know, the 70s. So, the computer was actually not bad for the time. We're just now watching it 37 years later. Yeah, and so that's what I thought. I thought, oh, it just didn't age well, but I read into the design um, the Ron Cobb uh, did for the Nostromo. No, he actually did make it purposely look retro. The computer, though? Yes, Mother. Yeah, he purposely made Mother look he wanted it to look like it was old retrofitted computer wear. Okay. Even in, you know, in the hmm. future where he, he knew that obviously computers weren't going to look like that. And it was a weird AI. Yeah, it was. Really weird system. It was Asking mostly... Asking it whole questions with and getting whole answers back. Um, it's not usually how a computer would run. 
Well, it kind of fits with Alexa. We love our Alexa. Uh, so that part's kind of interesting. It, it's it pre- like predicts Alexa, but it's a whole computer room, and you have to go to the room to interact with Mother. With lots of blinking lights. And a screen that is several feet away from you, even though it's only like a 15-inch screen. And there is a keyboard, but it also takes voice, and it's it's just weird. It is weird. That's what confused me is uh, Ripley, the captain, Ash, they all had to type into the computer, but they could also ask Mother for for stuff, so that's weird. It's like, why would you, wouldn't you have just one or the other? And yet we live in a society that does that, that exact same mm-hmm. thing. Well, and I think maybe to a certain extent it makes sense in that at the points that they're typing things in, they are trying to gain access to specific information that might have to be off of a text terminal. Or requires authorization codes or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Then you have Father 250 years later in Alien Resurrection. Yeah, Father acts as a general um, AI for the entire military complex, and then uh, the synth uh, hacks it. And at one point, the the guy's trying to get through a door, and he's like, Father? Father? And the synth comes back and says, Father is dead. (laughs) It's like, yeah, that's awesome. Yep. Fuck the patriarchy. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is kind of what they were going for there. Yeah. That's a nice theme. Fuck the patriarchy. (laughs) Man, creature design. Let's get into some of the, the production. Right. Uh, Google H.R. Geiger, because, oh my gosh, <laughs> this guy was insane. Uh, the polar opposite of Lisa Frank. <laughs> this guy <laughs> is dark. He, it's very f- sexual and perfect for making something creepy and stocky and rapey, mm-hmm. which is what this what the xenomorphs ended up becoming. I mean, he was, it was genius. Um, <laughs> in order to recreate what he wanted, uh, the first alien that they developed had over 900 moving parts. So all those wow. little, everything in the head, um, the tongue with the jaws, uh, the, the way that the body moved, um, they used, a an actor, uh, Balaji Badejo, uh, six foot 10. So huge. Yeah. <laughs> Not to mention that the alien costume itself was even bigger, so this is seriously like a seven-foot-tall-plus alien uh, with legs and tail and head, all movable parts, and the thing is just terrifying looking. They used uh, tons of KY jelly to simulate the uh, saliva, which is constantly being shown off throughout the films. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, the saliva is as acidic as the blood. Yeah. Yeah, so it's all goopy and gross. And it can eat through metal several decks down. H.R. Uh, Geiger also designed the eggs and the face hugger. The eggs were originally designed to have one slit, but they decided that it looked a little too vaginal. So they uh, went and added a uh, cross slit, which they thought was kind of funny, ironic, because uh, they got rid of the first design because the Catholics wouldn't like it. <laughs> and so they made it into a cross and thought that maybe the Catholics <laughs> would like that better. <laughs> I don't think Catholics care. <laughs> but they used cow and sheep innards to make those as realistic as possible, which is just gross. Yeah. I mean, just oh, just thinking about having to make these things. All we have now are the uh, plastic and silicon um, molds. The original uh, stuff that they used for all these, I mean, that had to have been had been tossed and smelled and was yeah. goopy and gross. But one thing I want to go back to is the the rapiness of it all. It's definitely a major theme. It fits with the basic premise being this alien is stalking and capturing people to be used as part of their reproductive cycle. Yeah, and that was... It literally is rapey. The uh, original question was, how are we going to get this guy impregnated by this alien? How are we going to do it? It's like, well, the natural answer to that was, let's make it screw him. Yeah. So they came up with the face hugger with a very phallic uh, mouthpiece that basically screws the guy. It's pretty dark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Super rapey. Uh, again, she's being stalked. Like like a predator and yeah it's 
it's pretty bad. But that's that's more. We'll talk more about that in the theme section. Okay. Yes, yes. Oh man, it's it's quite big. Um, some interesting points of uh, of interest. Uh, when the chest burster scene and alien happened, apparently the crew knew that that was going to happen. Of course, they had to, but they didn't know that there was going to be so much blood. So they had blood <laughs> spurting everywhere in that scene. I mean, it's hitting the walls. It's there's mm-hmm. so much action going into that. The girl who played um, the other female role in Alien just went into hysterics, apparently, because it was so bad. They thought something terrible had just accidentally happened. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, they got a really good shot of everybody being terrified because they were terrified. There was not supposed to be blood. Oh, it's fantastic. It's diabolical, actually, is what it is. Yeah. And in Aliens, um, the scene where Bishop does the knife trick, apparently they didn't actually tell the guy whose hand he grabs that they were going to do that. Oh. So his reaction when he starts to say, hey, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? Yeah. Well, that was that was real, too. <laughs> he was scared that he was good. Apparently, uh, he did actually prick his finger during doing that trick. But mm. um, that was that was all the actor. They sped it up a little bit um, so it wouldn't look super unrealistic they didn't but they didn't have to speed it up very much he was just that good wow it's crazy as for the aliens themselves it took six people to puppet an alien and 14 for the queen yeah 14 that's like two people inside the costume and then 12 others to move the arms and legs and tail with rods which they then took out in post-production that was crazy that really is (laughs) yeah so that's that's it for uh, production. All right. So we got the themes and sexuality. I kind of jumped the gun on. Oh no, that's okay. Um, obviously, H.R. Geiger, his entire, all of his art is very phallic, very vaginal, very mu- very sexual. So his alien is going to was going to be a predator that was going to represent the most, the darkest sexual urges. Um. The, the the rape aspect is you cannot deny it um even the chest burster scene is is phallic in some ways these guys reveled in it they mm-hmm. just said oh let's just make this as creepy sexual as possible and, and they did a really good job they really did yeah well and, and one thing that actually seems kind of crazy with it all is how the capturing and cocooning people it makes perfect sense by the time you get to alien 2 or a- aliens but they're doing an alien as well yeah, and it didn't really make sense at that point. You thought maybe they were being saved for food as a food source. But yeah, the capturing people alive and dragging them away without necessarily killing them. That's, again, terrifying. very terrifying. And, and it really and ju- also rapey. And rapey. And it gets to the very core of, of repulsion. Yeah. And uh, not only are they captured, but with the cocooning, they are completely bound up. Yeah. So you've got bondage involved. It's... Yeah, it's... It's dark, it's creepy, and it's everything you ever thought it was supposed to be. Uh-huh. Um, everything you're like, nah, that can't, they couldn't have done that on purpose. No, it was totally on purpose. <laughs> uh, the alien creature that they used in Alien Resurrection was actually, in post-production, was toned way down. <laughs> um, they wanted to have a, a creature that had both female and male genitalia that was like noticeable. And if you look up the actual creatures design you you're like yeah okay i get it i see that uh but even the director who um who joked that even for a french man it was too much uh decided (laughs) that in post-production to wipe that out because it was it was too much it was okay so here's ripley alien hugging alien baby with a giant vagina and penis rubbing up all over her and it was like no mm. nope this is too much <laughs> they cut it no okay. i'm glad it's disturbing yeah another yeah. major theme that's kind of related to that is the uh ripley's relationship with motherhood in the second movie aliens when she wakes up she asks about her daughter and this is where we learn that she had a daughter that she wanted to be home for her birthday and she lost her because she was asleep for 50-something years, and her daughter had died before she woke up. From cancer. From the cancers, from the big C. So this sets her up to be a surrogate mom to the little orphan Newt in Aliens, 
whom she also loses. Yep. <laughs> and uh and then by alien resurrection, she finally gets to have her baby. And I it, guess. It's an alien queen. And it's an alien queen. So she refers to herself as the mother of the aliens the whole time. Yeah. Then she has the freaky baby <laughs> that the queen gave birth to that rejected its alien mother and saw Ripley and decided that she was the mother. Uh-huh. And then having to kill that was just like the final breaking point. Right. And there's also the weird it's moment It's like she where- cannot be a mother no matter what. The universe is just set against it. There was also the weird thing that she's helping everybody escape almost gets to the very end she's been fighting off all the aliens i think she's killed a few and then the queen pulls down the floor thing so she drops in and she falls in and the queen and her just hug while she's giving birth um she wanted her mommy yeah well there's that definitely uh she was going through some terrible pregnancy pains and wanted somebody there for her, I guess. Yeah, it was... It was so this, she called for her mommy. It was this weird bit of, like, you don't see that level of thought and emotion from the aliens before that moment. Yeah. And it seems out of place and disjointed. Well, yeah, and it just it just slams home the, the fact that Ripley is not human anymore. Or to me, it more slams home that Alien Resurrection was cobbled together and does not have a coherent storyline <laughs> yeah well, there is that um in the more traditional themes there is of course man versus other and man versus self uh really who's the bad guy here is it the alien is it the company is it um the military they explore all of those and it's from movie to movie it's kind of an interesting progression to watch that or is it ripley because her whole goal is to annihilate and exterminate these these creatures. Oh, good point. And if she could have her way, she would wipe them off of the fa- out of the, off the face of the universe. Yeah, maybe they're just an endangered species that needs protection, <laughs> like tigers. Oh <laughs> uh, no! Except for tigers, don't just kill indiscriminately. The aliens aren't killing indiscriminately. In every situation, they have a limited pool of people they need for their reproduction that's true too that's a very good point sir so we don't know that if they were on a major planet would they only kill as needed to continue or would they indiscriminately over uh, reproduce and annihilate the population well, and is I'm that how they spread across there, the universe that's <laughs> That's kind of what we were led to believe, but it is kind of a personal vendetta of Ripley's. It's it's her against them, and she is going to do everything she can to take them out. Well, she also has the disadvantage of she deals with them, goes into a super long hypersleep, comes back, has to go face the aliens again. When she finally escapes that situation, she has to deal with an alien again, and then... She gets resurrected and has to deal with the aliens again. Yeah, there was a good quote in Alien Resurrection where she says, I, I've been with you for so long, I don't remember what I was before. It's like, yeah, you are basically the alien chick. Yeah. That's what you are. That's who you are. That's You can't get away from it. Um, never, she finally had a chance at peace and they had to bring her back. It's like, ah, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the... What are, what were your favorite parts of Alien and Aliens and the whole the universe? Uh, I would say broad level, most realistic model on how we'll travel deep space. Awesome. I absolutely love that. I think it's far more more realistic than Star Trek. Um, it's more realistic than a lot of sci fi's out there. Uh, I I loved the way they handled the suspense, the lighting, the sound in alien alien was definitely an artistic masterpiece uh i did not have those same feelings about the later movies um so all the good really comes from the first movie oh the 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 one-liners in aliens those are pretty awesome i like that the the black guy isn't the first to die yeah that's nice um i do love the contrast between a thriller suspense horror film and an action horror film so the first two movies is kind of like terminator i i very much enjoyed the first two movies um they gave us the 
strongest female role model of the freaking millennium. Uh, I mean, Ripley's just badass. Oh, there's no other way to put it. She's just so cool. Um, the bad? Definitely too many movies. Yep. Three and four should just rest in peace. Yeah, they, they <laughs> shouldn't have happened. Um, three should have killed the franchise. Yeah, it was it was shoddy writing. Um, pretty uh, the acting was okay, but it should have it should have been the nail in the coffin. And then there was four, and there was Alien versus Predator, and Alien versus Predator two, which we'll talk about some other time because and Prometheus for for bad action flicks, those are still like a great go to. Oh man, it, it's like the, with the 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 good with the first movie was that it was an artistic film. The bad for the franchise is that the studios don't make artistic films. They are businesses trying to turn a profit, and they care more about profit than art. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that the ty- timeline doesn't add up. It, it's almost consistent if you only look at... Those four films. If you only look at the two, everything is consistent True. and coherent. You add in the third, it's still pretty consistent. You add in the fourth, it starts to get a little bit sketchy. And then you add in all of the related stuff, especially with Prometheus, it just, it disintegrates. It's just like, whoops, okay, well, we'll just throw that universe out the window because now we don't have a timeline that makes sense. Or if they, there is a a way they could salvage it with Prometheus, and that would be if they end up taking it to a point where it is a completely independent alien lineage. Yeah. And is in no way related. It won't be. No. We already know that. (laughs) Oh, man. And then we get into the Predator franchise. This is all part of, supposedly part of the same universe. Uh, We could not find any references in Blade Runner that connected to this universe at all. So there's no such thing as the Ridley Scott universe that we could find. That's all right. There's no references to put Blade Runner and Alien together. There's also nothing to say that they aren't. True. Uh, the the only thing I would say really is is the the distinction between the replicants and the androids. They yeah, are t- and too it, similar, but way too different. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're not we're not going to go into the Ridley Scott universe and how that all fits together because we can't really we we can't make it work. No, I think it's something that fans... Fans who watched one or two of the films and said, oh, hey, those two are connected. It's like, no, no. Or fans who desperately want them to be connected. Yeah. They care too much. They care too much. Oh, man. So that's it for Alien and the Alien movies franchise. We we may or may not do Prometheus. There's movies still we'll coming see. out, so probably not. Uh, if we do, it'll be a way down the a ways down the road. Yeah, I'm more interested in doing Predator and Alien versus Predator because <laughs> God, those are so they're such bad movies. Well, Get to the chopper! I love it. The first Predator is an awesome movie. It's so funny. Oh God, I love it. The sequels are atrocious. Yeah, they are. They are so bad. Don't watch them. They're not worth it. And, and I'm definitely starting to come up with the, the come to this conclusion that. It is very rare for sequels to, or at least third, fourth movie to be able to work, really work. I think that if you were to look at all movies like that, you would see that there's, that's a surprising, not surprising uh, correlation. Yeah. That by the time you get to a third or fourth movie and they're milking it, it's just not worth it. Unless the, it was made to be a trilogy. Yep. Or uh, quadrilogy. Star Wars and... Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. Matrix. Matrix. Those all work because they were all written to be that. Yeah. And they didn't just keep making Although some more argue movies. about the Matrix one, too. Really? <laughs> oh, this, yeah. Oh, they, they get worse, but they, they it was created to be a trilogy. Yes, yes, it was. Or at least when they, they decided to do a sequel, they decided to turn it into a trilogy. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right, so until next time. Yeah, this has been the Sci-Fi Nomads. You can visit us on the web at scifinomads.com, email us at contact at scifinomads.com, tweet us at scifinomads, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash scifinomads. 
In each case, it's spelled S-C-I-F-I-N-O-M-A-D-S. No spaces and no hyphens. Theme music in this episode is Urban Jungle 2061 by Eric Matias, www.soundimage.org. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. What the fuck are we going to do now? What are we going to do? Dustin is sick as a dog right now. Actually, that's not true. Our dogs are actually quite healthy. Um, he is as sick as bacteria growing in his throat. No, wait. Yep, that was the strep throat, and that's over. He's on antibiotics. This is a virus. He's now suffering a, a post-strep throat virus. Unrelated. And he's a big baby about it. And it's cute. Kind of a baby. No, you're suffering, I know. We're lucky that uh, we're even able to record this.